this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Brooke Pollock from Hut Capital. Brooke and I have gotten to know each other over about, about I say, about a year or so. Uh, he was introduced to me from a family office. And he has a long history within traditional finance, uh, places like Greenspring. And he's also been doing uh, work within the fund to fund landscape for a while now. And so this is a great conversation about VC funds. Brooke and Hutt Capital, which he founded about a year ago, have been focusing specifically on venture capital investments and funds. There is this whole kind of distinction and bifurcation within crypto because there are funds that are quote unquote venture, but are doing things on the liquid side. And so it's really, you know, kind of a very interesting landscape because coming from, you know, investments in Kleiner or Sequoia or Andreessen and some of the more classic VCs, this whole world is very different. And so what does that look like? What are the narratives at play? What are the venture capitalists that are focusing on blockchain and crypto really focusing on, you know, infrastructure, for instance, is big, you know, over the last year. And so we talked about the narratives, we talked about the entire landscape and how that's changing. We talked about this notion of equity investments that also have conversions to liquid tokens, which has also been happening for the last few months now. So this is a great conversation about the entire landscape on venture capital investing and funds specifically. And so remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, and please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Brooke. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I am really happy about this. I have Brooke Pollock from Hut Capital. He is the founder and managing partner. Hut Capital is a blockchain venture capital fund of funds offering long-term diversified exposure to blockchain innovation for institutional investors. I love that, how it sounds, and I love the fact that you're working for institutional investors and you have a background in institutional money management and asset management. Let's talk more about that because we need more people like you in this space. I've gotten to know Brooke for a while now. Um, he was actually introduced to me from someone on the institutional side. Uh, he spoke at FO256 that we hosted on April 10th here in New York. Uh, you can see those videos. They are live on the ARCA's website. So, Brooke, if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. And we want to find out more about why you left institutional land to go into crypto wacky land. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for the introduction, David, and pleasure to to be on here. Thanks for having me. So, so prior to Hut Capital, which I, I started last year, I spent 10 years in the institutional LP world. Um, so, you know, going through my background, so I started my career working for an investment consulting firm here in Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm based. So it's a firm called CTC Consulting. And, you know, we were an investment consulting firm for wealthy families. So, you know, folks probably aren't familiar with the firm, but it's, you know, you can think of it similar to Cambridge Associates in terms of, you know, what we provided for our clients, except that our clients were, you know, wealthy families and family offices, kind of, you know, 100 million to several billion of net worth. And, you know, we were a bit a bit smaller than than Cambridge is in terms of in terms of assets managed. But, you know, we worked across the, you know, their portfolios as a firm. We did everything for them, you know, from tax planning to, you know, stocks and bonds and hedge funds and kind of all the above. But I worked on the private markets team. So we were, 
you know, advising these families on investing in anything that was a liquid but not a hedge fund. So that included, you know, things like leveraged buyouts, venture capital, growth equity, and things like private distressed debt and turnaround funds, private real estate, private energy, even things like timber funds and some other kind of strange areas of investment or very niche strategies. So, you know, it's a wonderful way to, you know, learn about this space, um, you know, meet with a lot of really smart people every day in terms of, you know, meeting with all, all these various fund managers. Um, but, you know, I was there for a little over three years and decided to to leave um, and, you know, also to to get out of Portland for a while. So at that point, I, I ended up moving out to the East Coast. I actually did a quick backpacking excursion, which will be a, a separate conversation, but um, ended up moving out to Philadelphia and joined Hamilton Lane, um, which is headquartered in, in Philadelphia, which is where I was. So, you know, Hamilton Lane is a very large private equity asset management and advisory firm. You know, they're, they're actually a public company now. So, you know, you can go buy their stock, I guess, or, you know, see the company there. But at the time I was there, we were a private company still. And, you know, they have nearly half a trillion of advisory assets and about 50 billion of discretionary capital. And, you know, their their business is working primarily with, you know, like big pension, sovereign wealth fund type clients, like very large pools of capital like that, and helping them to invest their private market portfolios. Um, but then they also had discretionary funds. So we had, you know, various types of fund of funds, secondary funds, co-investment funds, and specifically, I worked on their secondary team. So we were buying LP interests in a range of private funds. And, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the private equity secondary markets, you know, of course, if you are invested in a closed end liquid vehicle, you know, you can't go on your brokerage account or something like that in order to sell it. So there's a whole market that exists for the trading of, of secondary interests in private funds. And, you know, it's a pretty institutional market these days, although it's technically all done, you know, kind of relationship based one off. Um, you know, there's no exchange for those interests, for example. So, you know, we were also helping GPs to restructure their funds and providing them additional capital or helping captive, you know, corporate VCs, for example, to spin out the independent firms, provide them additional capital, anything where you're buying existing portfolio of assets. So, you know, Hamilton Lane's a, a wonderful firm, um, you know, learned a lot there and really enjoyed my experience, but had always been very interested in the venture capital world and had, you know, wanted to to move that direction. So, I, you know, during my time there, I was fortunate to get it to, introduced to the folks at Greenspring Associates. Um, and in mid, you know, this is mid-2014, ended up moving down uh, just outside of Baltimore and joined Greenspring. So, you know, Greenspring Associates is a venture capital platform. They have uh, just under $9 billion of assets, been around for, for 19 years. And they were one of the pioneers in terms of being in the fund-of-funds world, but using, you know, the fund-of-funds platform to do secondary and direct investing. So even when they got started, you know, 19 years ago, back in 2000, they've been doing, alongside their fund-of-funds, secondary and direct investments from day one. Um, and over time have built out separate vehicles for those for those investments. So, you know, if you look at the firm today, they have a, a generalist venture capital fund of funds. They have some other niche strategies, so like a, a micro venture fund of funds and some other smaller, you know, more more niche fund of fund strategies. But then they also have a dedicated secondary fund as well as a dedicated direct fund. So 
you know, was was very fortunate to uh, to you know move down there and worked across the platform. So you know, invested in venture capital and growth equity funds as an LP. You know, did both LP and direct secondary. So you know what I described earlier in terms of buying LP interest and venture funds, as well as doing direct secondaries where we're buying stock from founders, management, early employees. You know, more in kind of mid to later stage companies, um, and then also doing very traditional direct venture investing. So, you know, we're leading rounds, um, you know, kind of maybe series C on average, give or take, um, but, you know, very, very involved post-investment, um, you know, kind of all, all the same stuff that a traditional VC would be doing despite having the fund to funds platform, you know, it serves as a very powerful sourcing mechanism um, in terms of the information, intel relationships that, you know, that you have as an LP in these funds and using that to do the direct investing. So, you know, I came in and, you know, helped to build out their secondary business in particular. You know, I'd been doing that at Hamilton Lane and joined just as they were about to close on their first secondary fund. So, you know, that was a great experience and really enjoyed that, but more broadly spent my time across the platform and, you know, also really enjoyed learning the direct side of the business given I hadn't done that, you know, prior to Greenspring. So I, I ended up staying there for a little over four years before before leaving to do Hut Capital. Um, and Yes, that's that's kind of what, you know how I got to uh, to Hut Capital here. So, you've had a great career thus far, and on the more institutional side, the more traditional air quotes markets. What about, as I said, this wacky, crazy, very volatile world world of of crypto assets? Said <laughs> okay. I have great job stability here and I have, I'm in a great place and this is, and what about it said, all right, I got to throw everything in and just got to go for this. What, what made you do that? Yeah. Well, job stability is definitely overrated, but, um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I had been, you know, aware and, you know, from afar watching this space for, for quite a long time. Um, so I went to school with a couple guys who were, um, you know, early in Bitcoin and, you know, kind of early folks who are running notable companies in this space. And, you know, it certainly caught my attention that they were doing interesting stuff and, you know, it was going well. Um, but, you know, working at CTC and Hamilton Lane and even, you know, early on at Greenspring, there just wasn't much overlap between that world and my day job. So, you know, I kind of saw it, but I, I didn't fully grasp, you know, how exciting it was and you know, the power of this market, um, you know, early on. So, you know, I was keeping an eye on it, but then, you know, when the Greenspring, you know, dedicated to venture, you know, started seeing some of these companies that had been funded in this space and, you know, just kind of really caught my attention, uh, got very excited about what I was seeing. And so, you know, fast forward a little while and in mid-2017, you know, we started seeing more of these venture capital funds that were dedicated to, to blockchain. So, you know, unlike most other areas historically, um, you know, it's, it hasn't been the, you know, Sequoias and benchmarks and excels of the world, you know, who were the early investors and all the best companies in this space and are kind of the experts and kind of go to, um, you know, go to firms for, you know, for entrepreneurs and, you know, in their replacement, you had these, you know, these dedicated funds who were, you know, very passionate about this space, very well connected, knew it very well, had the expertise, had the relationships, had the deal flow. And, you know, they have been the most successful in terms of, 
you know, getting deal flow and being early and having relationships and, you know, being successful in this space and, you know, really understanding it. So, you know, you, you saw a lot of these dedicated funds emerge versus having the generalists, you know, taking the lion's share of deal flow and gains and such. So, you know, at that point, you know, I decided I was going to go out there and, all right, get to know all these funds, you know, build those relationships and just spend a lot of time, you know, reading and listening and, be, you know, getting much more educated on the space and, you know, spearheading Greenspring's efforts in this area. And, you know, through that process, just got incredibly excited about what I was seeing. You know, most of my, you know, my my time at Greenspring, you know, looking at direct investments, for example, we're looking at, you know, software companies and e-commerce companies and, you know, things which were very interesting investments, but not did not nearly have the same type of, you know, intellectual, um, you know, interest and, you know, the same type of impact on how our world is going to function in, in the future, you know, is more about automation and, you know, new ways to sell things online and kind of displace, you know, old ways of doing things in that sense. So, you know, through that process, I mean, all of all of this and all of the learning that I was doing was so much more interesting, so much more compelling from an investment standpoint than like anything else I was spending my time on. And, you know, through that process, just realized I needed to spend my full time and attention on this space. I was just so excited about what I was seeing. And, you know, similarly, you've had a large number of venture funds who were dedicated to this space. So, you know, I was thinking through that process and, you know, I'm sure we can come back to it. But, you know, my view that is that for institutions, the venture model is the best way to to play this market. And similarly, that, you know, diversified strategy is a very compelling way to to invest in this space. And you know, there's really no one out there providing that that type of exposure in terms of a, a blockchain venture fund of funds. So, you know, given my background, I you know have the relationships of my career in the LP world decided to leave and and pursue that and take the entrepreneurial route. Um, you know, to be honest, I had always wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and, you know, had had some other ideas in the past of things to do, but nothing which, uh, you know, was really worth pursuing. And, you know, finally found the perfect combination of both, you know, passion and actually being, you know, a compelling opportunity as well. So let's dig into that a little bit more. So there are probably now and you can give us more updated stats i imagine because you monitor this far better than i do um but last kind of recording i had is that at the middle or the early part of 2017 there was maybe about 50 give or take funds again air quotes mm -hmm. because you can kind of break that down between those that are doing venture or those that are obviously already set up like a sequoia or andreessen or a kleiner that are kind of mixing into crypto um, and now as of today, there's over some, you know, some reporting over 500 plus funds. Um, so, you know, with the fund to fund model, I find it interesting because most of them, and not saying this categorically, but most of them are kind of agnostic and they're looking at everything. And there's been a few fund to funds already out there that have done pretty well. Um, but yours is much more specific because as your mission statement says, hot capital partners with blockchain venture capital firms pioneering the next wave of disruptive financial, social, and technological innovation to offer a long-term diversified approach to blockchain investment. So you're really focusing on the VC element, um, whereas there are other funds out there, there are other hedge funds out there that are 
and you can tell us about this too, because the roadmap and the kind of the picture is somewhat fuzzy. There is liquid strategies. There is VC strategies. There is hybrid strategies. There is liquid VC strategies. There are those that are investing in VC, but then all of a sudden they wound up with tokens and they have to kind of amend their PPMs and their PPAs. So tell us kind of, you know, why did you want to focus more on the VC side as you alluded to? You know, why did you want to focus more on that? And what does that really mean in crypto? Yes, that's a, a very good question. Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion around the various structures in this space because, you know, you have a lot of, you know, hedge funds calling themselves venture funds or, you know, the idea of doing liquid venture, which is which is great marketing, although I don't truly believe in. So I guess I should probably start by clarifying exactly what we do focus on and then can can go from there. So you know, when I say blockchain venture capital, which is where we focus, there, there's really two key criteria in terms of what types of funds we would invest in. So number one, it needs to be a dedicated fund, right? So if you're doing half blockchain, half something else, that's not a fit for us. It needs to be folks who are dedicated to this space. And number two is it needs to be a closed end venture capital structure. So, you know, that is the only part of the market that we focus on. And there's about, you know, 50 funds, give or take, that meet that criteria. You know, everything else that's out there, um, you know, is a hedge fund structure or, I mean, I guess there are also index funds. But so, you know, there are a lot of hedge funds that, you know, as I alluded to, call themselves liquid venture. But if you look at how they're structured, so they're structured as hedge funds, which means, you know, despite having, you know, often long lockups and maybe staged redemption periods, you know, they are hedge funds. They are going to become liquid. You know, they are subject to having, you know, people move in and out of the fund over time. And more importantly, they have to side pocket their illiquid investments. So, you know, if you're a hedge fund, you know, some of them are doing purely liquid investments, but the ones who are more, you know, venture oriented, you know, if they're going to do equity investments or they're going to do, you know, maybe private token investments where, you know, it's it's not initially a liquid investment, at least they have to do that through an illiquid side pocket. And, you know, most of these funds, you know, cap out their their liquid side pockets at, you know, in the range of 20 to 30 percent. Um, so what that means is, you know, if you invest in a, you know, a hedge fund, which is doing, quote unquote, venture investing, you know, what you're really getting exposure to is, you know, 70 to 80 percent liquid crypto investments and 20 to 30 percent, you know, some combination of equity and private token. And, you know, so I'm not saying that's a, a good or bad structure necessarily, but, you know, our view is that we want to be heavily equity centric, that that provides the best risk return for, you know, for LPs in this market. So doing something where you're capped on how much you know equity or liquid you know liquid investment you can have and where primarily the exposure will be to public crypto assets it is not a fit for us so you know even with a lot of the hybrid structures that you alluded to that that's effectively what they look like um so we we stay away from all of that and focus solely on you know closed end funds which look like traditional venture funds right so most of them have 10-year terms um you know some of them are shorter you you do see some closed-end funds that maybe have six or eight-year terms but I mean, effectively, they'll just have more extensions than the 10-year term is is what's really going to happen in those cases. So um, it's kind of a, a moot point and maybe more for optics than anything else. Um, so, 
Yeah, so that's where we focus. And, you know, in terms of the, you know, the the quote that you gave earlier in terms of where we're focused and partnering with Blockchain Venture Fund to provide diversified exposure to blockchain innovation. So, you know, a couple things to unpack there. You know, one is that, you know, we we view blockchain technology as, you know, having broader application than purely crypto. So that's, I mean, that's clearly, that's a, a huge application, uh, you know, in, in incredibly important um, and you know, we're very bullish on that space, especially, you know, building the infrastructure for it. But there are also a lot of really interesting use cases of blockchain technology that you can only do through equity investments because, you know, they don't have, you know, really anything to do with crypto. So, I mean, one example for, ex- ex- you know, being the idea of, you know, digitalization of traditional assets or tokenization or security tokens, depending on what you want to call it, where, you know, you're cre- creating, creating digital representations of, you know, traditional assets, whether it be a private fund or real estate or, I mean, stocks and bonds or gold or, you know, really anything. And, you know, creating a digital security versus a, you know, paper or based or electronic security. And, you know, if if you're an investor, you know, you want to own the infrastructure that is enabling, you know, that to occur. You, you don't want to own the underlying digital asset because it's going to be a piece of real estate or a piece of art. I mean, wh- whatever type of asset it represents, which... You know, of course, if you're doing blockchain investing, that's not the type of exposure you're looking for. So you can only you can really only do that through an equity structure. And then, you know, similarly, there's a lot of interesting use cases around you know things like supply chain and gaming and identity and you know other areas where you know they're going to look more like traditional business models. And it's kind of a disruption and improvement on what exists currently. But you know, similarly, those are primarily equity opportunities versus there being a you know, a crypto asset that, you know, that's tied to it that you'd want to be investing in. Um, the other part of it is around partnering with venture funds. So, you know, we've, we take a very proactive approach to being LPs, uh, you know, one in that we are constantly looking to provide value to our RGPs that we work with. So that could be, you know, helping them with the LP introductions that could be providing them deal flow. Uh, you know, that could be working on the advisory board, chatting with them through operational issues, helping them understand how, you know, institutional LPC, the world and how they should be framing what they do and, you know, reviewing their fundraising decks, giving feedback on on their pitches and all that kind of stuff. And just really doing anything that we can to be helpful. Um, but it also, you know, we see it as a two-way street, right? So in addition to the fund investing as a fund of funds, we also do direct investing. So we will invest in companies directly, um, equity only. We won't do anything on the token side in, you know, mid to later stage companies, specifically ones that have been prior backed by our managers. So, you know, we really use the information advantage that we have as an LP and all these funds to source and evaluate um, some of their portfolio companies, you know, the ones that have been outperforming and you know, are, are posed well for for very long term success. And, you know, we we see that as a, a true partnership. Right. So, you know, we we don't just provide capital. We provide a lot of other value as an LP. And likewise, you know, we, we want to work with folks who are going to be helpful for us as an LP and, you know, see us as a valuable partner and will be helpful for us as well in other ways. So I'm there's so much there to unpack. Um <laughs> God, where do I even start? All right, so I'm going to start here. And this is a little off script from what we were going to talk about. But okay, so you're focusing on venture, you're focusing on people that are investing more in the equity side of, you know, kind of the platform plays, if you will. And so, you know, over the course of the last few months of doing this podcast, I've gotten to get to a point where I'm starting to think that 
people who are building platforms are not necessarily addressing the core issues. And the core issue, um, and this really kind of stemmed from in- interviews with Munib at Blockstack and Ori from Blocksrout and some others out there, that at the very core, at the very, you know, as Ori and the guys at Blocksrout say, layer zero, there's a lot of problems. Um, we're relying on infrastructure that is from the legacy, from Internet 1.0 and Internet 2.0. We're relying on the pipes, if you will, of AWS and Google and more of the centralized, you know, kind of monopolies, if you want to, you know, the, the, the kings and the queens of us all on the data side. And so, you know, at their very core, our VCs, are there VCs out there that are actually investing in just the completely new infrastructure that we need to actually get these things to work and to scale and to actually optimize and to have throughput. Are we actually, are there people investing in those right now? And what's kind of the state of the state of that? Yes. And we, we definitely see investment in those areas. And, you know, if you look at where the venture funds are investing, you know, the, the biggest area of investment I would call broadly infrastructure. So there's kind of, I don't know, two parts of that. There's more of the financial infrastructure. So that's, you know, crypto exchanges and wallets and, you know, people who allow you to custody assets and trade assets and kind of more of the financial aspects of it. So, you know, that's important, although I don't think quite what you're alluding to. You know, the other side, I'd call more the technical infrastructure. So, you know, Blocksroot, for example, you know, they're, uh, you know, effectively trying to recreate like an Akamai or a Cloudflare and you know allow blockchain networks to to uh, work quicker. So they call themselves a blockchain distribution network, you know, this, which is similar to a content distribution network or CDN, like a like a Akamai or a Cloudflare. So I mean, that's you know, clearly very important from an infrastructure perspective. You know, we see a lot of interesting opportunities. I'd call you know more on the developer side. So uh, you know, folks who are you know, helping developers to build more in this space. And, you know, if you look at the traditional software world, you have tons and tons of these developer tools, which, you know, make software development so much more easily and more quickly. And you can just plug into other APIs to do lots of functions like, you know, like a company like Twilio for communications or Auth0 for identity. And, you know, none of that exists in this world because everything is being built from scratch. So there aren't all these different tools that you can use to plug and play and you know have a way more efficient software development process so you know it is very good to see see companies tackling that as well but you know if you look at that side of it all all the companies tackling you know the technical infrastructure most of them are are very young companies so these aren't companies that have been around for you know five much less 10 years so you know it's they're small in terms of of scope and scale for the most part at least um, and, you know, they're building their products and they're looking for customers and going through that process like all our stage companies do. So you know, there's a lot of interesting companies that are emerging from that perspective. But, you know, they still have a lot to to prove out. Um, you know, of course, they do have venture funding. And, you know, I think honestly, you know, if you think about that side of it, you know, traditional VCs understand you know, the idea of the technical infrastructure, maybe then they understand the idea of you know, Bitcoin and, you know, digital money and kind of, you know, that aspect of it. So I, I think VCs are well positioned to, you know, broadly speaking, consider those opportunities and understand them. And, you know, assuming they believe in the 
broader vision of you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies to you know invest in those spaces and understand what they're doing so let's talk about the the health and the wealth if you will of you know kind of traditional venture and crypto land um I always like calling it crypto land because when you start calling it digital assets and crypto assets all the time, it starts getting kind of boring <laughs> and mundane. Crypto land sounds kind of fun. You want to go there. You want to buy some tickets and have a few drinks. Um, so in crypto land, the the health, if you will, um, you know, as an investor previously, you know, working with family off in the family office world and obviously other family offices who listen to this show, um, kind of what's the what's what am i looking at what am i going to get and so in terms of multiples on deals so if you know people are investing or you started to see things you know from the seed we have started to see you know more maturation you're starting to see companies raise at the a some at the b some are actually getting a little bit more even mature because they've been around for five or six years now as you know you know this is not all completely new white space there have been companies since you know like wire that's been around since 2013 um and other iterations out there too um so there are some companies that have been in the game for a little while that have started to raise at more mature levels kind of growth equity levels but you know, what is the, what are you looking at right now? Or what have you seen, you know, kind of from your purview, from talking to all the other VCs, you know, when they're looking kind of their, obviously their unrealized multiple uninvested capital, kind of their marks, what are they seeing from like C to A kind of in terms of expansion on multiples? Yeah. So first of all, I definitely think that crypto land should be some sort of theme park at Disney. Yeah, they, they just started the the Star Wars yep. park. So maybe crypto land will be their next one, but you'll have to pitch them on that. So <laughs> we'll that pop, aside, we'll get um, on the show and try to pitch them on that. Definitely. So, you know, that aside, you know, if you look at the startup valuation, so, you know, speaking solely on the equity side, because the, you know, if you're doing more crypto token or crypto asset, opportunities it's a very different dynamic but on the equity side i mean honestly they look very much like traditional equity valuations in terms of you know how they step up from from one round to the other um you know there there's no real consistent um you know type of step up it's going to be highly dependent on you know how a company is performing you know how much demand there is for you know for investment in that company how they've progressed you know, what market they're in, what, what competitive landscape looks like, you know, how good their team is, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, that said, we have seen some pretty significant steps up from, you know, from C to Series A, from Series A to Series B. And, you know, if you look through the books of of the venture funds that are in this space, there's a lot of very big returns that they're sitting on on an unrealized basis. You know, some of them are, you know, the ones that you might think about, you know, companies like Coinbase or Circle or, you know, any of the ones that have multi-billion dollar valuations where clearly the, you know, the early stage folks did real well. But, you know, a lot of other companies, and I obviously can't speak to specifics for any any certain company, but you know, a lot of companies that are, you know, less known brand-wise, um, you know, that have pretty pretty meaningful valuations based on their progress and, you know, have done very well for, for their early investors. And you see, you know, the early stage guys continuing to follow on and, you know, support their companies as you would see in traditional venture. So, um, you know, from that perspective, I don't think it's really that different than, you know, regular early stage venture investing on the equity side, um, where it's you know, pre- pretty broad and, you know, for the best companies, you're going to see significant step ups from round to round. 
Yep. And so thinking going back just a few years, um, you know, I've seen this this evolution, and I know you have too, where it was the ICO, and then it was the STO, and then it's been the IEO, and then, you know, all in between, we've, you know, there are you know, obviously investors who have been focusing on the equity, and that's what you guys are doing there, especially with your investors and VCs. Um, now you're starting to see over the last year and a half or so, you've seen this equity deal that has conversions to token, um, or you get rights to tokens once there have been milestones, once, once the, the protocol, you know, once it's moved from kind of testnet to mainnet, and once things are kind of rolling around, you have, you know, this kind of some of these equity deals that have tokens in them. What's your opinion on that? Yes, that's a definitely an important question. And you know, I guess to clarify one point before I answer that directly, um, you know, the the venture funds, even the closed end funds, are still doing token investments, right? So even the the ones that are more equity focused will still make you know various token investments. So you know, we do have exposure to that, you know, as a as a fund, as do you know most investors in venture funds. There are some that are are solely equity focused, but. Um, you know, most funds have at least have some flexibility. Often, you know, deal often they deal with the twenty percent cap on certain assets through the VC exemption, so they're capped on twenty percent. But some of the some of the smaller funds have more flexibility, where they can go back and forth between equity and and you know token investments, kind of as the, as they see fit. But you know, in terms of your question, uh, you know, for me, it comes down to two things. You know, so one is alignment, right? So you know, our our are you making money the same way that the founders are making money? And if the answer is no to that, then you, you have an issue, right? Because, you know, you want to be on the same page as them. You know, you want to be driving towards the same goal. And, you know, on the other side of it, you know, if, if you're investing in equity, I mean, you, you definitely want to be protected, uh, you know, assuming it's relevant against some sort of future token structure and structure it such that you will have equivalent ownership of that. You know, so if I'm investing in, you know, early stage company, I'm buying 10% of the company or whatever it is, you know, I, I would want to own 10% of anything that company is doing. Um, otherwise, you kind of run into the first problem around alignment and how value is being created and are, are you actually investing in where the value creation is coming from. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a view on, you know, well, you should have one or the other. I mean, I think it's very dependent on the company, what's their structure, how's value created, what's appropriate. But um, you you need to make sure you structure it such that you don't get screwed over by owning one and not the other and then having the value accrue to the one that you don't own. So, I mean, clearly venture funds need to be very careful about that and, you know, considered about that. And I mean, they, they are, right? So that's, you know, to your point, that's been a a trend in terms of, you know, people who invest in equity and getting options or rights around future token ownership if, you know, if there is a token structure contemplated or, you know, created sometime in the future. Um, so, you know, I, I don't worry a whole lot about that because it is top of mind for the VCs in this space. But yeah, it's definitely something that as an LP, you need to be on top of them on and making sure that they're thinking about it and, you know, making sure you're, you know, kind of happy with, you know, with how they're structuring it and how they're viewing that that issue. Okay, so I lied. It wasn't the last question. Uh, <laughs> so you've had, you know, a lot of experience, as I said, from the onset in traditional markets, and then you decided to launch HUT, and you've met with 
dozens upon dozens upon dozens of these managers, and you stated there's about 50 or 60 or some odd that are more kind of the pure VCs. I think we talked about this many months ago, and many months in crypto feels like two years, um, but it was an access game. There is this access issue in terms of getting into these funds, um, and so, you know, kind of lay out, if you could, you know, if, you know, if someone who's listening to the show, you know, wants to ping you, you know, how do they, what's the access, you know, what, what's the level of access today? Are you starting to see more new fund creations? Are people raising fund two now and fund three after they've already started to show some kind of, some, uh, some performance? What, what's, what's the access game today, you know, for people who, you know, potentially want to work with you? Yeah, certainly. So, uh, I'll answer the second part of that first. In terms of fund creation, I mean, you've definitely seen a, a big pickup in fund creation over the past year. And a lot of people who, you know, may in the past would have opted for more liquid hedge fund structures, opting for, for venture structures, you know, both because, you know, we, we've seen more LP interest on for, for those types of vehicles. You know, there's been more opportunity in the equity side. You know, a lot of the token stuff has has gone away as ICOs, you know, have effectively become become illegal, and you know, fundraising via you know, via token structures has come down significantly. Um, so yeah, you've seen a lot of new funds created, um, and you know, of those, you know, fifty or sixty funds, you know, most of them are first time funds. So you know, somewhere in the range of eighty five percent, give or take, in terms of number of funds. And, you know, there's about twice as many within that within that group that are raising their first fund versus have actually closed it. So you have a lot of lot of first time managers out there raising money. Um, you know, so there's a fair amount of competition in terms of, you know, new funds entering the space or just even dedicated venture funds. You know, if you're an LP, if there's 50 or 60 funds out there, you, know, you have a lot of options at this point, which, you know, clearly was not always the case. So in terms of the access game, um, you know, there are there are definitely funds that are difficult to access where that, you know, is an important part of it. And they've been oversubscribed in their prior funds. But, you know, that's frankly a pretty small number, you know, in the context of, you know, how many funds are out there. So, you know, if if you are going to, you know, get access to the funds that are going to be, you know, the brand name funds of, of the future in this space and, you know, the the benchmark and sequoias or whatnot of of this market, I mean, there is no time like the present. <laughs> you know, the the supply demand dynamic is only going to get more more beneficial to the GPs. Um, you know, in terms of how much capital is available, uh, you know, in terms of access in the funds in this space. So, you know, how much net new capital are these funds going to raise versus the amount of capital that's coming in to invest in these funds? So on the demand side, you have you know more and more groups you know investing in this space, and you know as more institutions move in, obviously the demand side is going to increase. And at the same time, the supply side, you know, I believe will actually decrease, such that you know, you've had a lot of first-time funds raised. So you look at firms like. You know, Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, Paradigm and, you know, Blockchain Capital and Pantera. And they've, they've all had, I mean, even if not first time funds, you know, a lot of these have had large steps up, step up in fund sizes from their, their prior vehicles. So there's been a lot of net new money needed to be raised for all these funds. And going forward, you know, that 
net new LP of capital available is going to be much less than it has been in the past, at least in my opinion. Uh, well, at the same time, you have you know the demand side increasing. So point, point being, I, I think the ability to access the best funds in this space is only going to become much more difficult and you know that's going to happen in the relatively short term. So um, you know definitely from an access perspective, that's only going to get harder and you know I would try to uh, secure real estate, so to speak, now versus having to worry about that in the future. Um, yeah, so I guess that's what I'm seeing on the access side. You know some a lot it, obviously for more of the first time funds, you know, some of them raise pretty quickly, but, you know, it's always harder to raise a first time fund. So, you know, most of those groups are not, uh, you know, access plays in that sense in terms of the first time funds. Right. Yeah, I would, you know, we've been, I have, and we as a, as a firm have been advocating for people to look at fund to funds because, you know, it is, it's much different. The diligence to do on funds in crypto land, keeping that narrative going, is much different than it is in traditional asset managers and hedge funds and long only. Um, it's, it's different and the questions have to be, del- are different and it's just a completely asymmetric kind of side of things. And so, you know, working with people like yourself and, and, and firms like, uh, like Hut are obviously something that I would encourage people to talk to uh, more about. And so getting to know you, getting towards the end of the show, getting to know Brooke a little bit better, as I always like to say on the show, um, there are two inputs that we put in our brain. It's usually things that we listen to, and there are things that we read. And God only knows, I hope you read other things aside from valuation and manager decks. Um, I imagine hopefully you read some other things and then also what are you listening to? So anything you've read over the last few weeks that has really left an imprint and any music that you listen to when you're traveling or working? Yeah. So to be honest, I actually don't do a whole lot of reading in terms of, you know, reading books and novels and that side of things. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of sci-fi, you know, whether it's, whether books or, you know, through video and movies and such. So actually, you know, the next book I'm planning on reading is is Neuromancer just because I've heard a lot about it and I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I feel compelled to to read it, um, but I, I don't do a whole lot of reading. I mean, you do so much reading every day, just you know, reading news and medium posts and stuff like that. That um, you know, I, I tend more to listen to to music. So I'm actually a, a classically trained flute player. Uh, as well as tenor sax player, and then you know did much more kind of jazz as I I got older. Um, but because of that, I've always been hugely into music, and you know listen to music much more than I do anything else. Um, so I, I have a very I don't know broad taste in terms of music. So I like pretty much everything except for country. So sorry, country fans. <laughs> um, but you know, in terms of listening to music, I listen to a lot of different stuff, but the, the, what, what I listen to most often. So I actually, uh, I have a playlist. It's just called best songs that I am constantly adding to and updating, but it's, it's all of my favorite songs across all genres. So it's everything from classical to jazz, to rock, to heavy metal, to hip hop and, you know, everything in between, you know, tango in there and all sorts of other stuff. And, I think it currently sits at a little over 400 songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm, you know, want some music to listen to, I'll, I'll 
put that on more often than not, rather than having to, you know, try to dig through and find something specific to listen to and, you know, creates kind of a nice broad set of music. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I do more than, more than anything else. I think you take the cake for the first person to bring tango. I've never heard anybody say tango. Um, (laughs) you are today, you know, as we're recording on a Friday, you are the second person today to bring up jazz. So now, we had the first person, Simon from Ramp Network, talk about jazz in Poland, and he gave us all a recommendation. And now you are the second person today on a Friday. Friday is now officially Jazz Day on Bass Slayer. Um, so that is great. Uh, a good day. Yeah, it's a great thing. Um, that that music list, is that on Spotify? Because we're going to become Spotify friends real fast then. Yeah, it is on Spotify, so I'd be, be happy to share that. I don't know offhand exactly how you do that, but we can sort it out offline. We'll figure it out. Anyway, um, I also like to give guests on the show a shout out. You know, if there's some ways that people can learn more about you or go find you or find more about Hut Capital, where can they go? Yeah, so we don't have a, a whole lot on our website. So you know, the pro- we, we do have a, a Medium page. So you can find that at medium.com slash at Hut Capital. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn or through our website, which is hutcapital.com. Um, so yeah, I'd... I'd Check, probably check out those and then you know you can find my contact information through those sources if um you know anyone wants to, to speak further awesome and then of course listen to this podcast um yep this was brooke from hot capital it was such a great time catching up with you again congrats on everything that's happened thus far and let's talk again in a few months to see how things are going your perspective is really really important in this market uh coming from traditional finance to now and so looking forward to that again this is brooke pollock from hut capital go find him go talk to him and we'll be seeing you soon take care thanks david for more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.